lights. It's seven Friday night. Welcome to another episode of Seven Friday Night. I'm Sports Stars editor Chase Bryson, and I'm joined by the hottest hitting outfielder in the city of Concord's Monday Night Co-ed Softball League. It's my favorite co-host, Ben Enos. Welcome to another week of NorCal High School football, Ben. We've made it, and I can walk, which is something to be said after the aforementioned heroics of Monday slow pitch softball. So I'm ready to walk sidelines. Actually, I'm not. I won't be walking a sideline. Full disclosure this week. Oh, uh, so, really? Yeah, it's your opportunity to get back at me. It's all right. I still outnumber you two absences to one, so I really don't hold the cards in this scenario. Good. Uh, discretion is the better part of valor for you. <laughs> uh, well, you were on a sideline last week, so... Uh, Let's let's start with your game. What what uh, you you got a shootout, man? That's, I did. That's all that Akalani's plays apparently. So <laughs> I had. Uh, it's actually the first legitimately good football game I've seen this year. Um, in that it was competitive. Thirty-five, thirty-four win for Las Lomas here in Walnut Creek, uh, with a forty-five-yard field goal for Akalani's uh, falling short at the buzzer. Um, just a couple initial impressions from the game. The game never should have been that close. Uh, Las Lomas was up 21-7 going into halftime. It really looked like they had it under control. Aquilonis fought back. Las Lomas made some silly mistakes and committed some bad penalties, and the Dons took advantage to jump back in. Uh, Aquilonis went for the win after its last touchdown, but couldn't convert the two-point conversion. Uh, Props to Las Lomas defensive back and receiver Emmanuel Carnley for the breakup on that play. Uh, but the celebration was short-lived. Akalanis recovered an onside kick and gave itself a shot at having a kick to win it, although it was just a little bit too far out. So, you know, I, I've now seen three of that league's top teams, and I feel strongly that there will not be an undefeated champion in that league. Uh, Benicia might have shut out Camp Lindo last week, but even if Camp was off the pace a little, uh, this year the Cougs are going to beat somebody based solely on good coaching. Uh, Benicia and Las Lomas look awfully similar in that they have really, really good skill position players and some dynamic athletes, but uh, can their lines do their part to make it a complete package? Uh, Akoanis is really good, really well coached, and they'll be in the hunt for the league title the whole way through. And uh, oh yeah, Miramani's 5-0 and with Luke Duncan, a six foot six junior quarterback, who it looks like on Max Preps came to Arinda by way of IMG Academy beginning to make some noise with over 1500 yards of passing in just five games. So while I don't know that any of these teams fits ahead of Windsor in my D three power rankings right now, uh, Friday night's game in Walnut Creek was just a sign of an exciting season to come in the Diablo Valley. Um, but, you know, while I made a big deal last week of being the one that was staying here to hold down the fort in uh, the East Bay, you saw the big game of the week. So, uh, without further ado, we should hear your impressions of De La Salle's win over Folsom, what the night was like in a big game atmosphere, and uh, what you think moving forward about these two teams. I would love to do that. Although, first, I do have a question. Was your field stormed? It Friday? was. It was. <laughs> yes. And I was in the middle of it. I'm glad you asked me that. I hadn't thought about that. I was, I found myself, I was walking to the Las Lomas sideline. And I was focused on the field goal. And as the kick fell short, a rush of students came from behind me. And I flashed back to my rant of a couple of weeks ago. And I, as I said earlier, discretion is sometimes a better part of valor. I did not say anything. Instead, I looked for people to interview. Um, but yes, I'm glad you said that because it was yet another ridiculous field storming. Now, the game was good, and maybe there was emotion involved, but yeah, why? Why? Just, I don't know why. De La Salle fans didn't storm the Folsom field, did they? They did not. No. See, they've been there before. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the big game. 
I mean, by now, I'm sure everyone is, has read or seen or uh, caught up on the fact that, that De La Salle went into Folsom and did what De La Salle does to good teams all the time. They beat them 31 to 10. It was a very convincing win. It was hard not to be impressed with De La Salle's performance. It was also hard to be the least bit surprised. You and I both have watched the Spartans enough over the years to know how they can let the air out of a hyped game in a hurry. And the minute I saw Zeke Berry take that opening kick off to the house, I knew the type of Spartans team that had showed up. And it, was, it wasn't going to be as close a game as, as most were hoping. Uh, shout out to our partner in Podness, uh, Coach Terry Essen, who said special teams would play a big role and supposedly visited practice that, that last week to help with some of the return schemes. Also, shout out to you who said uh, De La Salle needs to embrace its veer offense identity and do what it does best. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, and they did it what they did. I mean, it was, it was what they do best. They, you know, they just, you know, they hit the ground, very physical. They controlled the pace of the game the entire night. Um, and Coach Justin Allen Moss said that their offense was, quote, like watching paint dry. And that's exactly how I wanted it, end quote. Uh, so De La Salle's defense was also super physical couple of big nights from, from Chase Tofiano and Cooper Flanagan uh, and Chase's brother, JJ Tofiano. It was just a really impressive all-around win over a Folsom team that we have not been shy about saying how impressed we, we are with them. And they were just they were just taken down by a better team on Friday night. Did you watch any of the Folsom game on uh, the internet replay? Did you have any thoughts? No, you know, I, I didn't because we talked, you and I talked after the game. And so I had a pretty good handle on what happened um i will say you know i picked Folsom absolutely because i thought Folsom uh was in the best form coming in to the game but uh if you rewind the tape if you go back to last week what was the one caveat that i gave it was that we don't know how de la salle can run up front we really didn't have a good understanding of that and now we do we know that they're the same old spartans as they always are in the trenches. Um, so, you know, not surprising in the least. Uh, and if we're doing shout outs, another shout out to a friend of the pod, Damon Esper, who before the game said that he thought that it should, the line should be De La Salle minus 19. And he was definitely the closest of all of us. So uh, the, uh, the broadcaster for the Spartans getting it right. But um, yeah, it, it's what we, you, you put it perfectly. We've been here before the hype train, built up and De La Salle took the air out of it. So the minute I saw your tweet that they had taken an opening kickback, I had the same reaction, like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so now I, I thought we'd try a new feature this week. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat for what we're going to call play or punt. Uh, I'll read a premise. And if you agree, you'll play. And if you disagree, you will punt. You got it? You know, this is... <laughs> Mitch Wishnowski is not walking through that door. We don't punt over here. We play the game. So bring it on. Let's go. Let's see if you can force me into fourth and long. <laughs> All right. So uh, with the NorCal hierarchy seemingly set now after De La Salle's win over Folsom and St. Francis Mountain View holding a win over De La Salle, here's my first pass to you. Any undefeated CCS Open Division champion should get the CIF State Open Bowl bid with little argument. I am going to play this premise. So let's, uh, let's run this down. Let's say either St. Francis or Sarah gets through the West Catholic Athletic League season unscathed. If it's St. Francis, they'll have the win over De La Salle. If it's Sarah, they'll have the win over a, a St. Francis team that beat De La Salle. And... If one of those teams is undefeated at the end of everything, they will probably have also beaten the other one again in the CCS playoffs, chances are. So, yeah, the resume is there for those teams. Now, Los Gatos could also jump in that mix when you're talking about undefeated, potential undefeated CCS open teams. And if they finish undefeated, they will have presumably beaten one of these other teams we're talking about and or some of the other West Catholic Athletic League heavyweights to get there. So they'd be deserving at that, point, at that point as well. Now let's look at the other side of this coin while we're at it though, because this <laughs> is a good premise, but do any of these teams really want to be in the CIF State Open game <laughs> and run up against Modern Day or Bosco or Servite? 
I mean, that doesn't seem like much fun to me. I mean, if I had to choose, I might not want to play modern day or Bosco or Servite. So uh, I, I, I agree with your premise. I, I say I'm going to play. Uh, what do you think? I think, as you say, the resume is there. It would be hard to, to tell an undefeated CCS Open Division champion that they, that they, did, they didn't deserve the top bid. Um, whether they, I mean, like you said, whether they want it is another question. I'm not sure any of these teams want that, but, um, but I think that, you know, based on, on common opponents and head to head, you know, an undefeated CCS open team would, would be the best team on the board. You would have to think. All right. Here's your second one. So when you were out of Benicia a couple of weeks ago, you learned from Panthers coach Craig Holden that the North Coast section does not intend to use neutral sites for their section finals this season. So premise number two, using home sites for NCS championship games this season is disappointing and could be a significant advantage for the home teams in some divisions. I'm going to play this one as well. It, but while I will say it's disappointing on one level, I will also say it's 100% understandable. Uh, so, like you said, we have heard through the grapevine that the NCS is planning to use higher seed stadiums as host venues for section championships. Uh, and so I'm going to call on semantics here to address this hypothetical. Yes, it's disappointing because we like the neutral site factor. We like those atmospheres, the even playing field, all of that. But the fact of the matter is we are not out of the woods yet when it comes to COVID. And by that point, schools will have spent the entire season working on and refining their protocols and procedures for hosting these events. Doing it this way minimizes risk, and I think we should all be for that. Uh, now to the second part of your statement, it absolutely creates an advantage for some teams. I'm thinking specifically about Division Three, which is where this whole conversation started for me. Because if trends hold, Windsor is in good shape to be the top seed. Things, of course, could change. We got a lot of football left to play. But I know none of the NCS East Bay or East Bay adjacent coaches want to make that trip in December. You and I can both attest <laughs> to how bloody cold it can get in December in the Redwood Empire at section final time. So, yes, it will create an advantage. But I think we still have to be in that mindset that whatever it takes to get a good event together is what we should do. And NCS is doing what they need to to put together a good championship event. I think that's right. It makes sense what the section is trying to do. Uh, but yeah, a few of those a few a few of those home sites are going to be daunting if it plays out the way you know some people think it does. So, all right, your last one. We so we actually already had eight weeks of football, which is seems crazy to me, but. Uh, you haven't taken any weeks off to this point. You, yeah. You, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You've championed yourself uh, with your, with your Ironman uh, mentality there. Uh, so you've seen a lot of football. So here's your last premise. You have already seen either in person or on a broadcast who you think will be the sports stars NorCal player of the year. This is a no brainer play for me, for sure. And it's be, and I have not seen this team in person, but I have seen De La Salle multiple times on my TV screen and on the internet and you've now seen them in person and you've already referenced this individual, my leader in the clubhouse right now for player of the year is Zeke Barry. Defense and special teams reign supreme. Yes, he plays offense, but give me Zeke in the other two phases and I am perfectly happy. Now to play contrarian, I've also seen Tyler Tremaine in person. And if he's not hampered too terribly by the injury that he suffered last week, I'd put him in that mix as well. Uh, but right now, I don't know that I have seen a more electric and impactful player in all three phases of the game than Zeke Barry. I would have to agree. He was, he definitely was the game, a game changer on, uh, on Friday night in Folsom, no doubt about it. I didn't keep track of his tackles, but I know he had, uh, I know he had several, um, I'm sure he tackled Walker Lions like 12 times because <laughs> Walker Lions got like 15 passes. So, uh, but uh, yeah, you can't go wrong with Zeke right now, 100%. And he made news this weekend by announcing that his recruitment is back open. He previously had orally committed to Arizona, but I don't know, maybe something about seeing Arizona 0 5 <laughs> maybe, maybe, 
made him rethink. But anyways, he he announced that his recruiting is 100% open again. So that that balloon is taking air. It is gaining air. The Zeke Barry train is uh, picking up steam. So yeah, it's he's been super impressive, and we've seen a lot of impressive players so far this yeah. year. Um, you know, it's gonna. I think it, as always, player of the year to me, especially in high schools, has an element of how your team ends up. Um, so, you know, De La Salle is going to be there at the end. So it's kind of a safe that you, you have a pretty good hunch that Folsom's going to be in the mix for something at the end. And then in the, in the manner in which St. Francis beat De La Salle, it's hard to pinpoint one guy from that team. Uh, you know, you want to give an award, give it to the whole team. Um, but yeah. And now we're going to take a quick timeout for a quick message from Sports Stars Magazine's podcast partner, the California Army National Guard. We understand an upside down world, but they're writing us off before we get to the starting line. A stalled generation? Who do you think is gonna fix all this? We will, because our future is the future. The next greatest generation is now. Visit nationalguard.com to find out more. And now, back to the show. Now that we've established that I have a strong opinion on player of the year at this point, it's time to transition to someone else who has strong opinions as we welcome the third member of our three-man weave, Coach Terry Edson. Before we do, we want to acknowledge Rockland wide receiver and track star Nathan Kent, who is going to join us this week in advance of the undefeated Thunder's big game against Folsom. Young Nathan was hard at work in the field of mathematics, so we'll give him some big-time props for putting the student in student-athlete, and we'll catch up with him down the road. Meanwhile, Rockland will see a team this week that Coach Edson helped us prep for last week. So we're looking forward to getting his take on what went down between Dallas Allen Folsom and picking his brain on just how important the third phase of football truly is on the high school level. Let's listen in to this week's conversation with Coach Edson. And it's once again time for our weekly visit with retired coach but active consultant, <laughs> Terry Edson. All right, Coach, we know you enjoyed your Friday last week. I would have loved to have seen your reaction as you watched Zeke Berry take the opening kickoff 88 yards, basically untouched for a score. You said special teams needed to play a role if De La Salle was going to beat Folsom, and boy, were you right. Special teams scored 10 points and led to another seven after Chase Tofiano's block punt set up a first and goal. A good win for the Spartans with big efforts from all three phases. What were your impressions, and was that the best your school's team has looked this season? Uh, definitely. I think that it was the most passionate I've seen the Spartans look this season. I think the, the reality of the game and what it meant for them, uh, for their season, um, laid heavily on their mind for the full week. And they, you know, came out right from the start, uh, with Zeke, you know, but, uh, you know, um, also another part, you know, Jordan Kennedy's was a 43 yarder. I haven't seen a yes. three yard field goal in a while, but, and he nailed that. I mean, but knowing that he's been an unsung hero, you know, as a defensive coordinator, I know we're going to talk about this in a second, but putting those balls in the end zone from the kickoff, that's a huge bonus for your defense as well. So not only did uh, Chase do a great job blocking it, obviously some great blocking and letting Zeke look like the parting of the Red Sea there. So uh, <laughs> as Moses ran through and uh Susie got to us, so they're not going to catch that dude. And uh, so all in all, yeah, that was uh, – but I thought the defense uh, – the defense is past uh, – the pass defense, but more importantly, you can play great, great pass defense when you get a pass rush, and they were pressuring them all night long. And that, that was a huge part of being able to stop Folsom, no doubt about it. Wow, Chase, I believe you had that last week. I needed a pass rush. It would be a big factor if they could get one. Yeah. Um, well, as Chase mentioned earlier, you uh, mentioned last week that special teams would be a big X factor in Friday's game. And if we had to count every big De La Salle win that included a momentum-changing kick return, well, we'd be here a while. Uh, we know special teams is near and dear to your coaching heart, so we wanted to ask what, in your opinion, goes into building – a successful special teams program within a high school football team? I don't think anybody in football doesn't think special teams are important. Uh, but the bottom line is in high school, it's, um, you know, colleges, they have 85, 100 kids to pick from. And for uh, 
you know, they only, only played 22 at a time. So, you know, you've got division one recruited athletes in your college program. So it's not like you're picking some kid up that, you know, just uh, decide to walk on at the last second. Most all division one athletes are all league type. I mean, really good football players, you know, in their program. So they're not starting. So they're itching to get on the field. So obviously you put them on special teams and it's a way to, to get on the field through your special teams play. In the professional ranks, of course, you're getting paid to play special teams. And some guys make a team because they can play special teams. So it's a way to earn a paycheck. Well, in high school, it's a little different. You know, um, a lot of the starters don't like playing special teams. Um, and then you gotta then you gotta find some non-starters that are willing to have the passion and the love for special teams and have a little athletic ability because you're out in the open field. And that's the one thing, you know, why did the spread offenses become so popular in football? Because you spread out the defense and you gave your your um, your best players, your best athletes space to run it. Well, that's special teams. And so that's been that was my philosophy for 40 years. We have an opportunity to get our best athlete the football and, and have some great space to do it in so we could do some major damage here on special teams. And so I always put our starters um, out on the field for special teams for punt return and kick return. They were always our best running backs or our, our shiftiest receivers are always great athletes. And then I got... Uh, guys that can block and if they were starters or stars a lot of people are worried about their starters getting hurt but I never understood that you put your starter in for an offensive play or a defensive play you're not worried about them getting hurt what's it it's spe special teams is it's just another football player why wouldn't you have your best guys out there and then it was a way for kids that maybe weren't going to start but um, had some toughness about them and some passion about them a way to get them on the field and make a significant difference uh, for the team and 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 we had so many kids that were not starters on our football program over the years but had so much respect from our players because of the way that they they played on kickoff or the way they played on kick return or their punting whatever it was it was a way to make a name for yourself in our program so we always took it seriously i i did say you know that would be a whole nother show well things i did for uh special teams to try to motivate our, our kids. But I was able, I know that was the, the main thing is like, you got to be bought in as a coach. You, you know, you have to say that it's important. You kids can read phoniness. So you go, you know, if you don't practice it that much, you don't take it that seriously, you know, and you get Thursday night or the Friday, the day of the game, whatever you're having your team, you know, a little meeting there and you're going, we got to play great special teams way too late by then to tell the kids you got to play great special teams. That was expected in our program. That was a given. It was no difference in saying you got to play great defense or your offense got to do this. Special teams was always part of the deal. That's why one of our captains was always the special teams captain as you know, along with the other three guys that were, uh, you know, named captain. So at the end of the year, we had special teams player of the year award. So there was a, you know, we wanted to let them know this was just as serious as any aspect of the game. So we took it extremely seriously. And my come to how most teams look at football moment was when Bob and I coached in the state all-star game, the old North versus South game. And so we were coaching with uh, Bakersfield coaches as well, uh, playing the Southern teams. I mean, probably the most famous Southern player that year was Curtis Conway, you know, had a great career with the uh, Chicago Bears and USC. And um, so we're playing against them. I remember the first, you know, like three days in, we had like two weeks of practice in Azusa Pacific back in the days when it was really smoggy back in LA. I mean, Cut it with the knife. It was so miserable to be there for two weeks in that heat and smog. But I'm going, okay, you know, we're going to, we need special teams players. So, you know, who wants to do kickoff at De La Salle? You know, everybody wanted to be on the kickoff team. That was like the team to be on. And like two guys walked out, like nobody wanted to play special teams. Here I had all these supposedly best athletes in Northern California, and there wasn't one dude that wanted to play. It's like, oh, come on. It, it gets the two guys that walked out were Ben. Guess what school they were from? <laughs> I would tell you they maybe wore green. 
Jay Ward Green, exactly. So I'm going like, oh, this is going to be a long week. So uh, fun to do it. So and I, I saw that that was a huge advantage at Del South High School. It wasn't, you know, and I talked to a lot of coaches and, you know, Thursday's walkthroughs when they would go through all their special teams. And if you were going to do that, then we had a major advantage against you. And if you were just putting kids in on special teams to get them in the game, we were going to have a major advantage against you. We've actually seen over the years uh, a handful of coaches who have followed the philosophy that really they were going to do whatever they could to eliminate that third phase of the game. And, and famously, one that we knew quite well, um, and Chase and I were out at a practice one time and got a chance to see it, was when Brian Hamilton was the head coach at Concord High School. They had, you know, 25 guys on the roster, and it was their philosophy, their team philosophy, that they weren't going to kick unless they absolutely had to. They weren't going to punt, and most of them were quarterback punts that you referenced a second ago. There are plenty of coaches who've employed this philosophy. What do you give up by ignoring that portion of the game or just completely trying to eliminate it? Yeah, I'm, I followed Hamilton one time at a, in a coaching clinic where he was talking about how he never kicked the ball off and he always kicked onside kicks. And I followed him up with great kick returns. And it was hilarious. We had a hilarious coach. We got a big laugh out of that one. Uh, you know, it, it, that first time we ever played Folsom, right? Since we just played Folsom, they were a team that never punted. And so we're playing them in that NorCal game. And uh, they went for it all the time. They kept getting us the ball at the 20, 25 yard line. And all of a sudden, you know, they're down four touchdowns. And after the game, a reporter said, were, were you surprised that Folsom didn't punt? And I said, no, they didn't punt all year. So, but what I would have said later, if, you know, if they asked me, I'd say like, you got to know your competition. You got to know what you're up against. So, uh, you know, if you're going to play a team with a, that's got a high-powered offense and can put scores up in a hurry and you think you can, you know, you, can, you think you're somewhat equal to them, then if you're going to give away points like that, I think it's a huge mistake if you're going to give away field position like that. If it's a desperation situation, it makes sense. I just don't think you want to hand the team, you know, field position if you can help it. It's still a field position game. Like I said, you know, that guy, our Kennedy kicked it in the end zone for us every time. That's making Folsom go 80 yards. That's, I know they have a great offense, but it's still hard to do in high school. All right. Uh, it's time for picks now. And you're coming off a 3-0 and week. Congratulations. I should be like 9-2 and two right now if that wasn't for <laughs> turnovers here and there. Go on. It seems only fitting that we start with Folsom as it, as it tries to bounce yeah, back. Yeah, let's start with Folsom. <laughs> Okay, listen, as Ben has pointed out many times, I like to play horses, so I play percentages. When you play horses, you play percentages. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time Rockland beat Folsom? Probably. Then. Exactly. I'm taking <laughs> Folsom. Okay, next. You made a horse noise there. Who was that? I was Chase. <laughs> you know, I made the, the little horse troll. I like that. <laughs> Keep going next. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to the East Bay Athletic League. 5-0 and Monta Vista on the road. 4-2 and Amador Valley. Amador lost 41-13 to San Ramon last week. Monta Vista had a bye, so they've had a week to think about it. Mustangs are in good form. Amador and Monta Vista, who you got? Here's, uh, here's something you don't no normally hear in a sentence. I mean, and Noah, I hope Monte Vista has a sense of humor, but, you know, what's Monte Vista been, Monte Vista been known for as long as I've been coaching? Their offense. But, my goodness, you don't hear this very often. Monte, Monte Vista's playing great defense right now. So, uh, CJ's got them playing great defense, and we know that Amador has a little trouble scoring, so – if Amador's having trouble scoring and Monta Vista's playing a uh, great defense, not that, you know, they, of course it's still Monta Vista on offense, but I think their defense is carrying the day right now. And I know Amador is playing great defense. I see a low scoring 17-7, 21-7 in this place. I'll pick the Stangs. All right. We'll finish out in Monterey County where Palma and San Benito are both five and one in what has become a very compelling race in the Pacific Coast Gablin division. 
The last time we had you pick a game from this league, you correctly chose Aptos to defeat Palma. In a shootout. In a shootout. <laughs> Correct. Uh, and it was. <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh, Benito, yeah. Has, yeah. <laughs> San hasn't faced Aptos yet, but it nearly knocked off unbeaten Salinas team two weeks ago. So what do you got here? Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? They almost beat Salinas, but yet um, they got drilled by Aptos. Right. But Jekyll and Hyde, so it makes you wonder if there's injuries involved that caused the Aptos blowout. But, you know, you, you know, I, I'm not down in that area, but Palma has got a, a long tradition. San Benito, I think the key game is that uh, Aptos game where Palma was hanging with them and uh, San Benito did not have a good game against uh, uh, Aptos. But the Salinas, uh, that close game of Salinas was interesting. I didn't catch it if it was like a, you know, a high turnover game or what happened there. But just looking on uh, you know, strength of schedule and who they played, I, I got to stick with Palma on this one. But it, this one could be interesting because there are times where San Benito puts a lot of points on the board, and there are times where San Benito does not put a lot of points on the board. So this is going to be an interesting game. But I think Palma, I look for Palma to win that game. All right. Well, I'll uh, wrap it up by saying that I had a chance. Uh, you were in when it comes to picks and you referencing that you could be undefeated. One of those teams that cost you was a one point loss by the Knights of Los Lomas. They got a one point win on Friday night and I was there on a they gave up an onside kick with less than 30 seconds left. Akalanas got into field goal position, but it was a 45 yarder and it was a little too long. So Las Lomas escaped. Okay, it was a little too long. Short. The kick was short. The distance. Yeah, the, yeah, the distance. The distance. Got it. Sorry. The distance too yes. long, and he didn't get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, forty-five yards in high school is a long ways. I mean, yeah. there's not a lot of high school kids are going to make forty-five yards under pressure. They're, they, any, everybody, everyone always can kick a ball when there's no one rushing. Remember that. Okay. That's kids would always tell me, "I can kick." Yeah, with no one rushing, anybody can kick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well all right we will uh we'll take it out there thank you as always and uh for imparting some words of wisdom and i'm gonna go back to uh studying my daily racing form you do that okay readers cup in three weeks okay i'll see you guys <laughs> <laughs> well that was once again a good conversation with coach edson we had to know he was going to be fired up after de la salle's big win in another week of going three and zero in his picks your unbeaten streak came to a close, though, so we'll have to see if you can get back on the horse this week. Crashing back to earth. <laughs> Here's okay. our slate of seven games to choose from for our primary picks. Big one in the Sierra Foothill League. We got number three, Folsom, at number six, Rockland. In the West Catholic Athletic League, we have number four, Sarah, at number nine, Valley Christian. Then we go to the Valley Oak League, where number 18, Manteca, is at number 10 Central Catholic Modesto for what should probably be the Valley Oak League title. And then we got Elk Grove at number 11 Jesuit in a big Delta League game on Saturday. Uh, number 12 San Ramon Valley is clashing with Clayton Valley in Concord. And then number 17 Granite Bay is at Whitney of Rockland. And big game in the Capital Valley League this week, we have Antelope at Endercom of Sacramento. With that, I will let you lead us off. All right. First two disclaimers. Uh, the first one is, I, there's no way I am touching Folsom at Rockland without an accurate injury report. No shot. <laughs> uh, number two, I'm pretty sure I picked Manteca to win the Valley Oak League at the beginning of the season. And that game scares the bejesus out of me <laughs> because Central Catholic is really playing well. So I won't be going there either. Now that I've got those two things out of the way and everybody knows how scared, how scared I am this week, uh, I am going to start in the CCS where number four Sarah is heading to San Jose to take on number nine Valley Christian. We saw last week that the Padres will seemingly be able to fill the void after the loss of the missile. Also shout out to the missile for committing to San Diego State last week. Uh, and they picked up a 30 point win over Reardon. Valley Christian dropped a 41 to 27 decision to St. Francis. I believe I had that. And the Warriors are up against it again this week. Let's talk defense for a second. 
Since allowing 14 points to Palo Alto in its opener, Sarah has allowed a grand total of 20 points in four games. That is five points a game. That is crazy. I know we like to talk all the time about Valley Christian's dynamic offense, and it is indeed dynamic. But give me the Padres to remain undefeated this week on the strength of a tremendous defense. And I'm going to make this a very reluctant lock this week as well. Uh, on to you for your wit and wisdom. Well, you stole all of my thunder on that one, but that hey. uh, <laughs> I'm also going to lock in Sarah reluctantly because uh, there's always a chance for a letdown, of course. But Sarah seemed to roll with the punch of losing uh, the missile and took care of business against Rudin last week. I think their physical defense, which you just allotted to, uh, shows up again this week and really makes life difficult on a very good Valley Christian team. The Warriors lost, and if you play the common opponent game, the Warriors lost to number seven Bellarmine by two touchdowns last week, and Sarah stomped the Bells a week earlier. So I feel pretty confident, maybe, given that we're taking the Padres for my lock. So, yeah, let's, let's do that. And uh, I will start round two. Um, we'll go to the Sierra Foothill League, but not the big one. <laughs> I'm going to take Granite Bay. Um, to beat Whitney. So it doesn't it doesn't get the the pub that Folsom and Rockland get, but Granite Bay is having a really solid season in the Sierra Foothill League. They are going um, they aren't going to light up the scoreboard like those other two teams. They're going to play a disciplined balanced attack and lean on a better than average defense led by senior linebacker Zach Annis. Zach leads the team in both tackles and interceptions and I think he and his teammates hold Whitney to 13 points or less and the Grizzlies grind out another win. Linebacker love. Got to love some linebacker love. Um, All right. I'm going to stay in the general vicinity of you, but I'm going to go to a different league. I will go to the Delta League and stay in the Sac Joaquin section for a little Saturday action in Carmichael. (laughs) After two losses to begin the year, Elk Grove has righted the ship and now sits at four and two heading into a Saturday afternoon trip to five and one Jesuit. The Marauders' only loss, we've documented it time and again, only came against Folsom, and Marlon Blanton's men have really been rolling offensively, scoring in the 40s in each of the last five games. The key here for me, actually, is we have a common opponent to look at. Both of these teams have played Indercom, and while Jesuit won 45 to nothing, Elk Grove lost 15 to 6. Now, that was an early season game, but uh, it, it is informative. Combine that with the fact that this is a Saturday afternoon game, We've listened to Coach Edson on previous episodes tell us about rhythm and what it means for high schoolers to get out of their rhythm on a Friday. Uh, this is something Jesuit is absolutely used to, and Elk Grove isn't. So it is supposed to be a glorious weather day in the greater Sacramento area on Saturday. So on a nice afternoon in Carmichael, give me the Marauders. And I will finish up a little closer to home. It's East Bay Athletic League time with San Ramon Valley traveling up 680, getting off at Ignacio Valley, navigating the road work, and ending up on Alberta Way to take on Clayton Valley Charter. SRV is now the unofficial king of Pleasanton after convincing road wins each of the last two weeks at Foothill and Amador Valley. Meanwhile, Clayton Valley is coming off of a nail-biter loss to Cal High on the road. I know what the rankings say. I know San Ramon Valley has been really good this year. I know all of that. But you know what this game is going to be? It's going to be ugly. Can the Wolves win ugly? I don't know. But what I do know is it's in the name for the other guys. I guess on paper, if you're looking at rankings, this is an upset. I don't really think it's an upset. Give me the Clayton Valley Charter Ugly Eagles to defend their home not so black turf anymore. I think that's I think that's a good call. I think you're, I think you're going to be right on that one. Yeah, they lost. You know, they they lost a, an absolute nail biter last week against Cal on a, on a late possession um, on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and San Ramon Valley has won a similar game like that earlier this year against Los Lomas, where Los Lomas had four tries from the one yard line and couldn't score the game winning touchdown. Um, so, you know, these teams have been in close games, but I, I just think. Clayton Valley at home, the Uglies pull it out. All right. So I will finish this up 
by taking a shot at this Valley Oak League championship game. I've had a decent amount of luck with my Valley Oak League picks this year. And even though Central Catholic has been a roller coaster for me in picks this season, I'm going with the Raiders. I'm convinced they're the most complete team in this league. And I think they salt the league title away by handing Manteca its first defeat of the year. Could be a high scoring game though, but I, I do think Central Catholic uh, holds them off. So let's, let's jump on the rapid fire. Uh, Quick pick time. Yep. Who's first? I'll go first this week. So here we go. We're going to start in the Northern Sections Eastern League, where your USS Enterprise crashed and burned last week. Everyone hold, hold the phone. Everyone knows that, yes, the USS Enterprise blows up in Star Trek 4 or 5, 3, Star Trek 3, but it comes back. They get a new Enterprise. And did you know that if we're going to talk about interstellar travel, we got to shout out Captain James Tiberius Kirk as William Shatner himself became the oldest person ever to go to space this week. I, for one, am comforted that Captain Kirk was briefly in our orbit this week. That's pretty cool. He, he was one of, he's the OG rocket man. Rocket man. So that's awesome. All right. Well, now we just go back to playing old Eastern League football. So uh, the Northern Sessions Eastern League is really heating up, and I wanted to give... I wanted to give you this game just so that we could throw some love to Chico High running back Dion Coleman. This dude is just a sophomore, and two weeks ago he set a northern section record with eight rushing touchdowns and a win over Yuba City. He had another big night last week as the Panthers trounced by alma mater, Red Bluff. Chico hosts Foothill of Palisadro in a matchup of the section's two hottest teams, both have won five straight. Who you got? Oof, this is tough. I picked against Foothill Palisadro last week, right? Uh, no, last no. week was Enterprise Pleasant Valley. Pleasant you Valley, picked, that's right. picked yeah. against the Chico team last week, but not that's this right. Chico team. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, in the absence of some really informed uh, banter, um, give me Dion. Give me Neon Dion. Hey, yes. Chaz, baby. Neon Dion. Chico. Fantastic. All right. At this point in the season, we're not getting too many really good non-lean games anymore. But this is a solid one in the Sac Joaquin section. Because that seems to be where all the good kids are this week. Vista Del Lago is averaging 40 points a game on its way to a 5-2 start. And the Eagles are hosting a Sheldon of Sacramento team that's averaging 35 points a game and nearly knocked off Elk Grove two weeks ago. They are also 5-2. So, Sheldon at Vista Del Lago. This is tough. Sheldon's really on the come up. Uh, not bad for a basketball school, eh? Right. Um, man, this is a tough one. Um, I feel like I picked Vista Del Lago a couple times this year. Uh, I'm going to stick. I'll go with the home team. Give me Vista Del Lago, but that's a tough call. You were all about the Eagles this week. You got the ugly Eagles and the, yeah. and the common Eagles. Yeah, I'm going to be nearby Sheldon this weekend too. So if, if they pull it out, I might have to go pay homage <laughs> on Saturday or something. And for your Bay Area rapid-fire game this week, I'm taking you back to familiar ground, the Pacific Coast Gavlin Division. Oh, God. Two 5-1 teams square off when Palma travels to the Hay Balers of San Benito. CalPrep's algorithm says this will be a one-point game won by Palma. Will you be singing Hail to the Chieftains, or are you shopping at Hollister this week? Shopping at Hollister. Well done. Uh, no. Um, give me Palma. Give me Palma. I'm all about my Salinas teams these days. Hail to the Chieftains it is. Yeah. Um, are there any, are they the lone remaining Chieftains in the Northern California area? They might be. Yeah. They might be. Uh, Justin Sienna still the Braves? Ooh, that's a good question. I think so. Yeah. The Braves. There's still a few out there. Yeah. Oof. That was a tough, that was a tough trio. I have, I have zero confidence in that three picks. Those three <laughs> picks. All right. Well, we when we were looking at uh, our games to put on the board this week, we both looked at this game, and you have magnanimously allowed me to force you to pick a winner, though I do know who I would pick if I was quizzed. Let's go to the Capitol, where 7-0 and Sacramento High takes on 5-2 and Capitol Christian. Both teams unbeaten in league, so this is a big one. 
the all-knowing computer at Cal Prep says Cap Christian wins this one by a touchdown. But I feel like we've proven the computer wrong a couple times lately. Cougs and Dragons, who you got? That is good. Give me – I should have done my homework since I knew you were going to give me you this. You knew game. this was coming. I know. <laughs> I was trying to remember who the, who the common opponent was, and I couldn't. You know, first of all, shout out to Sacramento. They, uh, that, that's an awesome 7-0 start for them. It's a school that is always kind of battling the, the ups and downs of, of enrollment and, and all that stuff. So I'm excited for them. It's a, a chance to really prove themselves on a, on, in a, on a big stage against um, a well-respected program of Capital Christian. So, you know, you know, I was looking at this game. They have a common opponent, you know, a, 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 what we would consider a good common opponent, I guess. Um, Capital Christian beat Christian Brothers 52 to 43, whereas uh, Sacramento uh, beat them 39-34. So that was a little tighter, a uh, little tighter game. <sighs> I really want to pick Sacramento because uh, I think it'd be a, a great story if they win. But I still think Capital Christian holds a bit of an edge. I think they'll also have the best player on the field too in quarterback Anthony Garcia. So yeah. Give me Capital Christian in what I hope is a very good game. A reluctant choice from our editor. Uh, how about the basketball love we're showing today? Sheldon, Sakai, got some basketball powers here. <laughs> um, all right, let's stay in the Sac Joaquin section, but let's come a little further south on Interstate 80. Vandana Fairfield and Vacaville are both 2-0 coming into this week's showdown at Vacaville. You had me pick a Vanden game a couple weeks ago when they went to Rancho Catati, and I had to sweat out an overtime uh, period in a Rancho win. Since then, the Vikings have knocked off Wilsey Wood and Fairfield to open league play. Vacaville is a pod favorite from early in the season, and the Bulldogs have open league play with wins over Fairfield and Armio that came by a combined score of uh, 92 to nothing. Battle for early Monticello Empire supremacy. Who you got? Who did you, where, where did you say the game was again? Vacaville. It's at Vacaville. Okay. Uh, then I, I am going to roll with the home team there. I'm going to uh, I'm going to take the Bulldogs. I like the resume slightly better than Vandens. So we're going Bulldogs. All right. Well, you took me north earlier, and we're going to finish north, and we are going to wrap it in the NCS where – St. Bernard's of Eureka <laughs> heads to Fortuna for a Humboldt Del Norte Big Four showdown. Now, both these teams are one and one in league, and both have lost to Del Norte. So shout out Del Norte. Fortuna has the better overall record at four and two, but St. Bernard's losses are to a six and zero St. Vincent of Petaluma, six and zero University of Prep of Reading, and four and one Del Norte. Cal Preps has St. Bernard's winning by two scores, but this game is at Fortuna. Is it time to roll over Beethoven, <laughs> or are the Huskies the dominant dogs of the North State? Fortuna is not an easy place to play. It's probably going to be closer than two touchdowns, but I still think St. Bernard gets it. St. Bernard gets it done. St. So. Bernard, you adjusted it because you didn't want to talk about Charles Grodin and <laughs> – Beethoven the dog. <laughs> That's correct. That will wrap up another week of Seven Friday Night. We will thank Coach Edson for joining us as always. He should also take a lot of credit and another pat on the back for the success of last week's bonus pod that celebrated the 20th anniversary of De La Salle's National Showdown with Long Beach Poly. We got plenty of compliments on the episode throughout the week. If you haven't listened yet, be sure to check it out. It features Edson, Coach Bob Latticer, former De La Salle quarterback Mac Gutierrez, and Bay Area journalist and now San Jose State professor, Joe Stiglitz. Seven Friday Night is available on several platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. If you listen to shows on one of those platforms, search for the number seven Friday night, and please rate and subscribe. We build Seven Friday Night using Anchor. You can leave a voice message for us by visiting anchor.fm slash the number seven Friday night. Each of our episodes also get their own dedicated page on Sports Stars Magazine's 
web home, sportsstarsmag.com. You can stream the episode there, find links to various other platforms, and check out a variety of bonus items that we tend to include. Our cover art was designed by me using a photo by the late, great Nora Vondergoven. Our theme music was produced by Dustin Phillips. He performs in multiple bands in the Sacramento area, including an awesome cover band called Popular Demand. If you want to book them for one of your events, visit their site at sacramentocoverband.com. And if you book them, tell them you heard about them on the 7 Friday Night Podcast, and maybe they'll give you a discount. I don't know. I'm not making any promises, but maybe we can arrange something. Book them. They're good. And that'll do it. Final thoughts from you, Ben. I was waiting for a Dano Graves reference when you, you said book them. <laughs> no? No? Okay. Um, well, it's uh, as, as previously stated, I'll be off the sideline this week for the first time this year. But uh, especially if you live in the Sacramento, greater Sacramento area or anywhere in the Sac Joaquin section, uh, what a week for games throughout the SJS. Uh, we'll find out a lot about some of the top teams in our rankings, but we'll also find out uh, how some of these leagues are going to shake out. Uh, you will be here closer to home, but um, you know what? It's, uh, it's never a bad time to go see some high school football unless it's raining and then it sucks. But, um, <laughs> but in the interim, it's going to be a nice weekend. So uh, what say you about the weekend to come as I – monitor things from my phone oh i think it's gonna be like you said i think it's gonna be a great week in the sack walking section uh i think that's gonna be a lot of fun to, i mean that this is the sack walking section separation saturday week or separation friday or whatever uh there are definitely some teams that are gonna um probably win some league titles this week with their wins so um looking forward to seeing how those games play out and uh, excited about visiting at uh, Clayton Valley, seeing another EBAL team. I haven't seen them play yet this year. Uh, getting to see Saramon Valley play. It'll be the second time I see them, but against opponent, an opponent that should really push them. So that should be good. It's, it's going to be a good matchup, and I'm looking forward to being out there. And let's see how it all plays out. And I, I look forward to uh, coming back next week and doing it all over. Breaking news to end the podcast. For fan, longtime fans of ours, the horns have been located. <laughs> Stay tuned. All right. We'll see you next week, fans. Let's roll, boys. <laughs> <laughs>